It is a, it's a privilege. Um, Daryl, uh, he was my preaching pastor or professor in seminary and among other things, and he has uh, given me a lot of encouragement over the years. And uh, it's a privilege to have him here to, uh, to share the word. And uh, I don't know, CL, if you have uh, things you want to add a little more eloquently than I can. <laughs> Dr. Del Hussein, albeit he hates being referred to as such, has in a very real way fathered a great deal of us. Um, I remember when I first encountered Daryl Del Hussein, who was a fresh graduate from Talbot Theological Seminary. We were part of Arizona College of the Bible, and just above the pulpit it said that in all things he might have the preeminence. While you are there, you are searching for the will of God, the heart of God, and you want to hear the voice of God. There came in Daryl Del Hussein, who exposited the book of Revelation in a way that I have never heard. He did it within the framework of our spiritual growth week. I thought to myself during that time, I want to be connected with that man. I want to follow that man. It was some years later that he started through Western Seminary, the founding of Phoenix Seminary. And uh, I went to Daryl Del Hussein, um, and I said to him, Pastor Del Hussein, I cannot afford to attend this seminary. But if you would be gracious and invest in me, you have my word that I will give it away. I've tried to stay true to that. When we joined the seminary, on our certificates upon graduation, it said in Greek, Kiruxantan Lagon, preach the word imperatively. It could be translated. Wait, wait, that's a big word, imperatively. <laughs> Is there a, an Oxford dictionary in the house? I insist that you preach the word. That was an easy, <laughs> you know, that was an easy layup on you, brother. Okay. Um, over the years, he has invested in people in countless ways, to the point where I'll never forget the story where you were sitting. With you know, he has he has a sermon he to does. preach. He does. This is important. He told me about he and his wife, because you look at Dr. Del Hussein, you think he's always been successful, the son of a butcher who had a vehicle who, when he was sitting with his wife on date night, drinking Coca-Cola and Cheetos, the rain was coming in. He looked at her and he said, if she would be with me through this, then I'll forever be faithful to her. Dr. Del Hussein, when Howard Hendricks walked into the office of Dr. No. Dr. Shea. Dr. Shea. Howard Hendricks was told by Dr. Shea, you said years ago, if I am to walk in your ministry at any point, I will ask you one question. Where are your men? Dr. Shea walked from behind his desk, put his hand on me and said, Dr. Hendricks, this is one of my men. But before he ever said that, John and I were one of your men. We ask you to receive... And welcome our mentor, our pastor, Dr. Daryl Del Hussein.
in heaven now. Appreciate that. Well, after hearing that, like I said, I should be dead, but I'm not, so I'm still here. John, it is a privilege. Waited a long time for this. You know, he just moves the speed of a snail on this one. You know, uh, just kind of like, hello. But, you know, John's careful. And he just wanted to make sure he had the hand of God on him. Because unlike some of us, John had many choices, could do many things, talented in many different ways. And for him to finally realize that this is what God has called me to do. This is what my hand is on this man and CL and the others. And it's such a a privilege to be able to finally participate in this wonderful, wonderful thing. John is called to ministry to do the work of the ministry, which is the train up the saints, to do the work of ministry. That is disciples. John is here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I've been accused of being tech-tarded. I embrace that. But I know how to Google. And I don't know if you just try it. I challenge tonight when you go home, don't do it. I'm preaching here, but that's rude. But go to your little computer there, your little hand gizmo, and, and, and Google the simple question. Why are Christians so? That's it. Just that much. Why are Christians so? And see what comes up. And what you're going to find out is why are they so mean-spirited? Why are they so judgmental? Why are they so intolerant? How come they're so angry? How come they're so mad? And I'm going, oh my, uh, 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 this is a bad rap. You know, uh, this is how the world views us. And, and the reason it really bothers me is because of what Jesus said in John 13 and 17. Now, Jesus never asked for my counsel, <laughs> which is a good thing. But in John 13, 34 and 35, when Jesus says, Now this command I give unto you. Now Jesus did not give a lot of commands. The word, the Greek word is entole. That's for CL here since he, he likes Greek. <laughs> but the entole, the command, he didn't command, we're going to get up in the morning, we're going to have breakfast, we're going to do this or that. He hardly ever, ever used the word entole, command. But you come to John 13, 34, and Jesus out of the blue says, Now this command. I give unto you, so all the boys are paying attention, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now right there you go, that sounds, I like that, that sounds pretty good. And then I think Jesus blows it. Now like I say, he doesn't ask my counsel. Because then he says, for, if you love one another as I have loved you, here it is, don't say it Jesus! All men will know you are my disciples. Do you understand what he just did there? He gave the world the right to judge whether or not we're phonies on the way we treat each other. Now, that's the first mistake. The second mistake, in my deteriorating opinion, was John 17, when Jesus was praying. And he says, Lord, I pray not just for these lugs who are here. I'm praying for those who will believe because of their testimony. That's us. We're the ones who believe because of the testimony of the apostles. It's the only place I find in the Bible that we're mentioned. And here we're mentioned in the prayer, Jesus says, I'm praying for them. And Father, as you and I are one, I pray that they be one. So far, so good. Don't say it! Then he does the purpose clause. So that the world will know that I came from the Father. Oh, no! Now he gives the world the right to judge whether or not he's a phony 
other way we treat each other. Now that's why I believe that Satan, he heard that 2,000 years ago. I don't think he has to spend a lot of his time, you know, in wicked places with wicked things going on. I think the lust of mankind can take care of wickedness. I think Jesus, I think the devil put all his attention right there on the church. All he's got to do is get Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, to not get along, to not like each other. To be hateful, judgmental, and whatever we come up with. Because then the world has the right. This whole thing is phony. You Christians are a bunch of phonies. And Jesus is a phony. And Jesus himself gave them the right to draw that conclusion. And so the thing is, Jesus, if we're going to be disciples of Christ, I can't change the world's perspective, but I can change the way they view my life. And so my life as a disciple of Christ, John in 1 Peter 5, now Peter, he doesn't know he gets to write a second book. Because remember in, in John 21, after Peter blew it three times, betrayed Christ three times, and Jesus gives Peter a chance to get it back together. So, so he meets them in the beach, fix breakfast. You know how Jesus fixed breakfast. Breakfast! I mean, it was remarkable. And then basically they go ahead and they go for a little walk. Peter, come, I want to talk to you. He says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Let's them kind of turn it around, turn it around. Then he says, Peter, I got good news for you. Uh, 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 you're not going to die of natural causes. Where you want to go, you're not going. They're going to tie you up and you will die. Now you kind of go, that's good news. Well, you're going to say, for Peter, the biggest fear he had was he was going to blow it again. And Jesus simply says, not to worry, Peter. They'll kill you before you blow it again. Now, I'm not real excited about that, hearing that, because I'm sure every morning you wake up, whoa, is this going to be the day of my demise? So he gets to write a letter, and he puts it all there in 1 Peter. And, and he's a little surprised he gets to do a 2 Peter. That's why he's kind of angry through 2 Peter. That's another study. You know, you scabs, you go back to dog's vomit. 2 Peter's pretty heavy, right? Kind of like, I don't have much time here. I'm not going to play games. But 1 Peter 5, he kind of ends the letter by saying... Kind of, it's like being kind of pregnant. He ends the letter in chapter 5. He says, now as a fellow elder, pastor, leader, he, he, he says, shepherd the flock. You go, okay, I'm ready. Shepherd the flock. And when he gets to, well, how do I do that? He says, well, don't do it for sordid gain. All right, don't do it for money. Don't, don't, don't lord it over them. That means push them around. Okay, won't do that. And, 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 and don't do this, basically, to, to serve yourself. Okay, I got it, I got it. So this is great. Paul says, now, shepherd the flock. Then he tells us how not to. You want to go, all right, how do we shepherd the flock? Notice he says, be examples to the flock. See, so write down, be example to the flock. Okay, what's number two? There is no number two. Well, what's number three? There is no number three. It is be examples to the flock. So if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm a disciple of Christ, then, then my life needs to be lived so much in before my people and, and, and the world. How do I know when I'm supposed to do something and supposed to say no to something else? The longest recorded sermon we have of Jesus is called a Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
Now, we're not sure if Matthew put together a whole bunch of sermons he gave many different times, or one sermon he gave one long sermon. That would have been one long, that went past lunch. But in chapters 5, 6, and 7, you have this composite, this summary of all the teachings of Jesus. If I didn't have anything else in the Bible, and if I had Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I've got enough to fill my life and understand what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he begins this in chapter 5 by saying, And when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and opening his mouth, he began to teach them. That sounds a little funny. He goes up the mountain, multitude, the boys are all there, and he sits down. And then it says he opens his mouth. You kind of go, well, it's hard to give a sermon without opening your mouth, right? But this is a very traditional Jewish rabbinic approach. In other words, this wasn't going to be a chit-chat. This wasn't walking along a lake of Galilee, you know, and hey, let's just talk about some things. No, no, when a rabbi was going to do formal teaching, he would sit down, and when it says he opened his mouth, this is formal instruction. So now here's God the Son giving us formal instruction. And he begins with the Beatitudes. You've got to think right before you, think, before you do right. But then the first subject he talks about, about after having this right attitude is a salt and light thing. Here's what he says. You are the salt of the earth. And if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing. And more, except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. You, you're also the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Now, do men light a lamp and and put it under a peck measure, a little basket? But no, on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, glorify your Father who's in heaven. Now, I think this is a really fascinating passage because Jesus comes right out with these metaphors. He says, all right, you're going to follow me, be disciples of Christ. You're going to lead by example. All right, first thing I, say, I want you to understand is you are salt and you're light. And we many times talk in metaphors because you don't know what to do. You don't have a clue. All right, I am salt. I am light, like a giant GE light bulb. I mean, as long as we stay in the metaphor, we can't obey it. So what is Jesus talking about here? Again, as he begins in verse 13, he says, you, and by the way, this is emphatic. He says, I'm talking to you as an individual, and salt in Palestine was mostly found on the shore of the Dead Sea. And back in this day, salt was a big deal, because you use salt to preserve something good, to preserve meat. Now why? Because back then you had no ice you had no refrigeration and meat gets rotten real fast and so it was critical to have salt pure salt because it preserved the meat so people could live back in those days they didn't have a lot of money so they would eat meat once a week but boy that's once a week we're going to have meat that means they had to keep the meat fresh for a week and they did that with salt salt was such a big deal at that time Uh, The Roman soldiers were at times paid with salt. 
Uh, you've ever heard that old phrase, a guy's not worth his salt? That's from where the particular phrase comes from. Well, salt from the Dead Sea, basically if it was mixed with anything, gypsum, sulfur, any other minerals, it was impure, tasteless, it would contaminate the meat. So what is this pure, unmixed salt that somehow, he says, it gives taste to this world and preserves something good? Catch it. This is why, as disciples of Christ, we say no to some stuff. We get this idea that, well, I'm a Christian. That means I'm nice. Do you know that 600 years ago, the English word nice in London meant to be stupid, simple-minded, I know when I was in high school and used to date and at the next night the girls would tell all our friends, well, how was the date? Well, he was nice. Now I realize exactly what that meant. He was stupid and shallow. But the point basically is this, is that it's not about being nice. There's sometimes we have to say no. When people know you're a disciple of Christ, have you ever met anybody He says, you know, when I grow up, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a hypocrite. You'll never find anybody. It can be an atheist. Nobody says, man, when I grow up, I want to be a hypocrite. Nobody likes a hypocrite. And the word hypocriti, that's an actor. It's somebody who doesn't act like who they really are. They're pretending to be somebody else. This no preserves something good. Sometimes we have to say no to show the world around us the beauty of some stuff. What are you talking about, Daryl? Well, for example, in my life, I I say no to deception and lying because I want to preserve the beauty of truth. At least in my world, I I, I say no to to lust and, and unfaithfulness. Holly and I have been 48 years now. I've only known one woman. Faithful to one woman. Why would I say no if I was ever tempted another way? I mean, come on. Answer is, I want to preserve the beauty of purity. I want people to be able to see what that looks like. I, I say no to, to, to drugs, uh, opioids, uh, marijuana. Why, why do I say I say no, not because I'm a goody two-shoes, not because my nose is in the sky and I think I'm better than you. No, no, no. I say no because I like salt. I want to preserve the beauty of freedom. I don't want to be addicted to anything, not even love. And so I say no. I, I say no to rebellion. I'm not going to rebel against God and his word. Why? Because I want to preserve the beauty of the blessing of God. James 1.25, be not forgetful hearers, but effectual doers. For this man, this woman shall be blessed in whatever they do. Oh, to live under the blessing of God with your family, what a great thing. It's not going to happen if my life is rebelling against the word of God. And so there's some things I say no to. But there's other things I say yes to. So if I say no to certain things, I better be real quick to say why. I say no, not because I think I'm better than you or that I'm some kind of special whatever. No, I say no to some things to preserve like the salt, preserve the meat, to preserve something good and beautiful and therefore I want to make sure you don't see hypocrisy in my life. And so I'll say no to some stuff but I say no 
because I want you to see the beauty of purity, the beauty of truth, the beauty of freedom, the beauty of the blessing of God. But then he turns around and says, but at the same time, you are light to this world. Now, what is light? Well, light dispels darkness. If we came in the air and it was real dark, you don't shovel out the dark and shovel in the light. All you've got to do is turn on the light and the darkness is gone. Well, in the scripture, what does darkness represent? Very clear. Ignorance. Ignorance. Darkness means not to know. Ignorance. It's like going to a dark room. You're not, you can't see. You're going to be tripping all over everything because you don't know what is going on. So darkness is always the picture of ignorance. And in this context, he's talking about the ignorance of God. People don't have a clue what God is like. How, how do you know that? Well, look at the text again. He says, you are the light of the world. Now a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So light will be seen. He says, now, 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 nor do men light a lamp and they put it under a, a basket, but he puts the lamp on a lampstand so it could be seen. Watch this. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Now he says, so let your light shine before men. And in such a way, watch this, let your light shine in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There's the key. That they can see your good works. Interesting, the Greeks had a couple words for good. They had the word agathos, which means good in nature, produces health and happiness. It's not the word Jesus uses. Jesus uses this other word, not used very often, the word kalos, means beautiful, something attractive, something that actually draws people to you. Kind of want to know, that was a beautiful thing you did. That was a wonderful thing. He says... People will see your good works. Now, what is this light? Because if they see this light and the beauty of your good works, works, things you do that attracts people, he said they're going to glorify your God in heaven. Glorify. Glory. That's another word we use, you know. Let's get cooking here. Glory, yeah, glory. Hmm. Psalm 18, Psalm 19, excuse me, says, the heavens and the earth declare the what? The glory of God. All right, the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. But what's glory? I mean, is it smiling, yelling, screaming, glory? Very interesting. In Exodus 33, Moses is in deep mud. Remember the account? They've been, uh, they've gone through the wilderness, they've escaped the slavery in Egypt. And now, there they are, and Moses is going to go out up Mount Sinai, Sinai. And he's going to get the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Well, he's up there 40 days. They all think he's dead. So, they start saying, well, let's have a party. So, remember the old golden calf party deal? So, they get the gold, and they start having the golden calf party. Meanwhile, Moses is up there, and he's receiving from the very finger of God uh, the Ten Commandments. Moses brings them down. He sees what's going on. He gets ticked and talk about breaking the law of God. He busted all ten right there. He broke them. And probably the first four-letter word in his mind was, oops, because that's the law of God. Well, he does his thing. Now he's got to go back up the hill and see what God's going to do. 
And you know, I love Exodus 34, 1, because it says uh, that he goes up the hill and God tells him to cut out for himself two slabs of stone and carry those babies upstairs. There are consequences to stupid. Because the first time, all he had to do was bring them down with a little help of gravity. Now we're going to take them up. And he's going to have to dictate those himself. God dict- he's going to have to write these things. But when Moses gets up there in Exodus 33, he asks that question. And I'm so glad he did. He says, God, show me your glory. Now we're going to let God speak for himself. Let God tell us what that word glory means. And it's interesting because he gets around to answering it fully in the next chapter, chapter 34, when he says, I will declare my glory. You will be hear my name. God's name, his glory, basically what it means in the Hebrew is simply this, what God wants you to know about him. It's your name, it's your reputation. That's what Moses is asking God. God, what is it about you you want us to know? Because God, if you're really mad about the golden calf thing, you're going to make us a scab in the desert and nobody will remember us. Moses honestly doesn't know what God's going to do. God, what do you like? What do you want us to know you're like? Because nobody has a clue. We're in darkness as to understanding what our creator is really like. Yeah, but we got, again, Psalm 19. Heavens and the earth declare his glory. Oh, yeah. Look at the heavens and the earth, and what do you see what God is like? You see his power. Oh, my. You, you look at the heaven, the stars, the moon, the galaxies, and you learn one thing. He's big. And oh, is he big? He's powerful. But that does not. The heavens and the earth do not tell us one personal thing about our God. So, I was a junior high kid, kind of skinny and obnoxious, and got beat up all the time. And I'll tell you, we had kids on our campus who were big and strong. And I wasn't going to worship them because they kept beating me up. So, if all I know about God is he's big and he's strong... So what? That just causes me to want to run for a hole. But in Genesis 1.27 it says, God created us, you and me, both male and female, in his own what? Have you ever wondered what that means? God created us in his image. Angels are not created in the image of God. No animals are created in the image of God. We are. Why? Because we have a capacity to do something no animal and apparently no angel can do as well. We have a capacity with these bodies that bear the image of God to actually manifest the glory of our Creator. What do you think Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 6, 19? Don't you know you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit. The word is doxazo, doxa, glory, and doxazo means to partake and demonstrate glory. That's why he says in chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians, whatever you do, you eat, you drink, do it all to the glory glory of God. That is, my life, my body, is to be light, to dispel the darkness. What's the darkness? Nobody has a clue what God is like. Everybody's guessing. Everybody's guessing. They're just kind of taking their favorite person and doing the McDonald's, supersize them up and say that's what God is like. But what is God really like? God wants to be known. Genesis 1.1, first thing we learn about God, God goes, hi, I created everything, I want to be known. 
And so, God knows that most people don't know what God's like. So, back to Moses' question in Exodus 34. So God, show me your glory. God says, I'll show you my glory. And this is what God says. I will tell you exactly what I want the world, my creation, to know about me. Now, I was raised Southern Baptist. It's a wonder denomination. The only thing is, I, I, I had the hell scared out of me when I was a little kid. I mean, really. It seemed like the pastor of my church... He answered that question. God wants you to know that God's a judge and that he's holy and he'll crush you and he'll just beat the spit out of you. That's great for a seven-year-old. How I love God is going to beat the spit out of me. I mean, you, you, what, what, what is that thing? I don't know about you. I don't like other people describing me to other people if they don't let me have a first shot at it. So why don't we let God tell us what he wants his creation to know about him? And he basically there, look it up yourself in Exodus 34. He says, I'll declare my glory. I'll show you my name. For I am gracious. And I am compassionate. I am slow to get angry. I'm about truth. I'm about forgiveness. And then twice, he uses an interesting Hebrew word. Now, in Hebrew, uh, basically, they have no exclamation points. So if you want to punch something that's really important, you double it. So if somebody's not just Lord, but I mean he's Lordy Lordy, uh, you, you say he's what? He's Lord of Lords. If he's a real king, 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 he is king of kings. If a place is really holy, it's the holy of So in Hebrew, when you double something, you're emphasizing it. So when God, speaking for himself, asks the question, what do you want people to know about you, God? He says, I want them to know that I'm gracious. I want them to know that I am compassionate. I want them to know I'm about truth. I'm slow to get angry. I want them to know that I forgive. But then twice, he repeats one other thing. The Hebrew word is hesed. And we sometimes translate it mercy, loving kindness. You know what the word means? It means to view someone else and deeply care about their well-being. God twice, exclamation point. It's like he says, yeah, I'm gracious, compassion, slow to get angry. I forgive. I'm about truth. But the big thing I want you to know about me is I'm for you. I am concerned for your well-being. Now, it says I'm light to a world of darkness. They don't have a clue what God's like. They've all made up their opinions what they think God is like. And God, Jesus says, you're going to be light. You're going to see. And when they see your good works... When they see you being gracious, when they see you being compassionate about truth, forgiving, slow to get angry, and when they see that you care about the well-being of others, they're going to, what did Jesus say here? Glorify your Father in heaven to recognize what God is really like. Yeah, but is that, is there an easy way? I mean, God's invisible. What did did Jesus say to Philip in John 14? If you've seen me, you've seen the... So apparently the Father can be seen in, this, in a body, in a person. Well, who's the visible image of invisible God? Colossians 1.15. The Son. Who's the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form? Colossians 2.9. The Son. Now that's why we are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. You've got to understand, we have this desire to want, to delight and glorify our Father, and we don't have a clue because no one has a clue. Huh? If there was only somebody in a body who would show us how. 
Aso grasapa. His name is Jesus Christ. Twice. Once at his baptism, what does he hear from heaven? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then in Matthew 17, when the, he does a transfiguration from heaven again. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's why we're not becoming disciples of God the Father. And we're not becoming disciples of the Holy Spirit. We're becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that delights the Father. And if we are no longer mere creatures, but we are now sons and daughters. What did John 1, 11 say? But as many as believed to them, God gave them the authority to become the what? Children, sons of daughters. 2 Corinthians 6, God says, <laughs> I got creatures up to here. I got dogs, cats, ponies, and little slimy worms. And I've got you. But you bear my image. So remember what he said in 2 Corinthians 6, the last two verses? As your God, I will be a father to you. And you will be sons and daughters to me. He placed his spirit within us. Gives us the desire to want to honor, delight our father. We don't have a clue on what our father was like. And what is our father like? Jesus Christ. So... He says that I'm supposed to be salt and light. Salt, that's to preserve something that's good. So in my life, as I give examples to my people, there's some things I say no to. But I say no, not because I think I'm better than anybody else. I'm a sinner like everyone else. Like was said, I'm a butcher's kid. You don't get more sinful than that. But the reality is this. I've been forgiven And in my forgiveness, God has given me this deep desire to honor my heavenly father. I'm simply a man with a heavenly father. And I have this heart that I want to delight my heavenly father. Therefore, I'm salt. There's some good things that God has given us that I want to preserve. Therefore, I have to say no to some things to preserve the beauty of them. No to madness, bitter, anger. Why? (laughs) Because I want people to see the beauty of love. The beauty of love. So there's some things I say no to. That's salt. Then there's some things I say yes to. That's light. And a lie is whenever I am responding to other people and they see my heavenly father because they see Christ-likeness. And when they see that I am gracious, that means I care for people even when they don't deserve it. I give gifts of grace. That I'm compassionate. That when I see somebody hurting, I want to do something to try to lift some of the suffering. I can't get rid of it, but I, maybe just a word of encouragement or just to pray for them right there. Something to help relieve the suffering. That's the compassion. Slow to get angry. When I realize the world's not about me, it's not me, myself, and I, the Blessed Trinity. What am I getting angry at? I don't know about you, but more often than not, when I get angry, it's because. I'm not being treated the way I want. And I want to be respected and I want my will done on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) Why do we get angry? Because we're not being treated like a God. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come. (laughs) Lord's Prayer. May your name be hallowed and, and may your kingdom come and your will be done. But I need to be respected. Why? 
No, no, my father needs to be respected. I, I, that's not a big deal for me. Think of it. You're, you're going down, this, you're down the road, someone cuts you off, you get angry. I get angry. Last week I got so angry. Now I started praying, Lord, take those people home. <laughs> but the fact is, I start telling myself the truth. And what is the truth? And I, I don't know about you, I just mock myself. Going down the road, there, why are you angry? Well, I'm angry because Scottsdale built this road for me. It is there simply for me to get to where I want to go, and this person is breaking the... No, I'm angry because I'm not being treated like a god. It's the essence of arrogance. And see, that's the hypocrisy. God's God, I'm not. And so when I begin to lead my people by my example, and they see when I bump up with others, in this world, there's some things I don't do. I say no. But not because I think I'm better than someone. I'm just preserving some beautiful things God has given this world. But then there's other things I say yes to. That's light. Anytime I can show you what graciousness looks like, what compassion looks like, what truth looks like, what forgiveness looks like, what caring about the well-being of others looks like, you get a chance to see the light. And that, by the way, Anytime anybody gets a view of the true God and what he's really like, even atheists are drawn to his beauty. So, tonight, Google. Just go ahead and Google. Why are Christians so? And let's just pray we can change that response. Maybe someday they would say, why are people so much like the Heavenly Father? It's going to come from the example of the pastor. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this night, this celebration. And like uh, Bishop Shiel shared, this is a serious night. It's a night where the church affirms what has been affirmed by church leaders, that your hand is upon John Corr and your spirit has anointed him to be a pastor, a minister, to the glory of Jesus Christ, to lead out of his life by example the beauty of his heavenly Father that we as disciples of Christ might do the work of the ministry and see what you do to grow your and deepen your kingdom. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, Amen.